The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Learn the language of spirit. This is The Intuitive Life with Laura Wooster. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Worcester, and welcome to The Intuitive Life, where we walk together and support each other on the path to becoming more spiritually aware, enlightened, and inspired. Today, my guest is Jacob Cooper, and Jake is a licensed clinical social worker, a certified Reiki master, and a certified hypnotherapist who specializes in past life regression therapy. He is also the author of two books, Life After Breath, which covers his experience with a near-death experience as a child, and his latest book, which was just released, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, which he leads the reader on a journey as he teaches lessons from his near-death experiences, and he shares his wisdom from the hereafter and rediscovers his own light, his sole purpose, and how to be of service to others. Welcome to the program, Jake. Laura, thank you so much for having me, and listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to you know, the show. It's an honor to be back here with you uh, again, as always. Yeah, thank you for, for being on. You just, you strike me as, I know you're obviously an adult, but you strike me as someone who was, as a young child, most likely people would probably say you were an old soul. Did people of, often say that about you? Because I got that impression that you probably were. Yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting concept. Like, I don't know, as a young kid, if people necessarily would throw that out there as much as they do today. But mm-hmm. what they would say is, oh, my God, you have really nice eyes. And so I got that from a young age. And I believe, you know, eyes are the window to the soul. And if mm-hmm. you, I believe in looking at face rating to a degree. And I know one person in particular named Barbara Roberts, she's great at like face rating. And she goes into the in-depth structures of the face and the different personality traits. But she talks about in her work, um, you know, the eyes and how, Sometimes you can look at someone and there's a depth and there's a warmth to it. And that radiates a degree of evolution and um, development uh, as a soul. And other eyes will just kind of like reflect back at you like there's nothing there. And that's might be tendencies of a younger soul. So um, yeah, the eyes are the window to who we are in many ways. <laughs> I, I agree. I believe that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but thank you. It, it's a great compliment, but it, uh, it also is important to become aware of who you are, to own it, um, and to just find ways to learn how to get great power, great responsibility, you know? <laughs> so true. Yeah. So true. So so tell us a little bit about Jacob's Ladder, um, your book, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. Now, now part of this obviously is covering your experience, uh, near-death experience as a child, correct? Yeah, you know, life after breath, I view... Um, for, for uh, listeners familiar with the term is kind of like my karma or, or my story of my near-death experience. And uh, the wisdom of Jacob's Ladder is, is more so of my dharma or my meaning or my purpose, um, you know, from the near-death experience. So um, 
you know, when, I, when I've been giving lectures throughout the years, it's, it's very uplifting to hear an NDE account. Uh, but then viewers are kind of like, well, I didn't have one, so I just don't know how to translate it. You know, so that really invigorated inspiration to, to get this book together, because I'm sure, as you know, as a psychic medium, there's so many going through grief and questions, and they want uh, tangible information that can, you know, move the needle in their life. And so this book touches upon, you know, lessons from a near-death experience, but it goes beyond that. And, you know, it utilizes some of my work as a therapist, uh, particularly pertaining to grief, um, you know, as well as empowerment for, for others to really take ownership of who they are. Because um, I find as a therapist, I don't know if you see this too, but, you know, all things almost emanate from <laughs> self-esteem. And the more that we really see within ourselves and remind, remember ourselves, the more resilience and resolve I think we could have within you know, the challenges of life. Mm, absolutely. So you, you were three years old when you had this near-death experience. So um, how can, I mean, obviously there wasn't a lot of life experience yet to really put that in perspective from a, you know, from a child's point of view anyways. So how, how over time have you integrated what you learned during that experience as you grew up, which I think is right. so different from someone maybe who was an adult and had a near-death experience? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> um I, I love, and you correct me if I'm wrong a little bit about this, but I love how, you know, our guy, John Holland talks about that we have two parts of ourselves. We have the human part and the soul part. And, you know, early in life, we all just have to learn how to play the human game in a way. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you almost have to have to bog down that part of ourselves to just kind of fit in, you know, but to thrive, you have to learn how to balance both, you know? And so for me, and I think universality, you know, there's universality to it that so many of us come into this life and then we just kind of somehow, some way at some point in time, just say, hey, I have to learn how to be human and I have to just kind of live this life. And so we bog down some of that higher connection, but then there's crisis that happens within our lives and there's uh, questions and, and, and a voice within. And then at a certain point in time when we're all ready, we honor that. And so my NDE um, is kind of congruent with a lot of near-death experiencers, but from a very early age, um, the, most near-death experiencers, not all, but a lot of them take years and years to process their NDEs. Um, there's many attributing factors, the intensified trauma, but also uh, the verbiage and lexicon, you know, that's almost unjustified. <laughs> Or, 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 or an impossible task to a degree to describe what, what goes on. So it, it took me several decades, but every day I learned different things about my NDE. I mean, for instance, just this past year, my father told me shortly after my near-death experience, I came up to him and I said, something profound happened to me, but I won't be able to talk about it or won't make sense, but one day it will, but I won't be able to talk about it right now. I will take credit for it. Because uh, my dad's one of my biggest skeptics, you know, but, <laughs> you know, um, and he's a very honest guy. So he's not going to make that up, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it's true. Not everyone, not every kid is like the kid from heaven is for real, where they had their experience and they just shat off from the, you know, tops of the table. A lot of kids, it's a very traumatic, difficult uh, situation that has a double-edged sword component that takes a long time to really make sense of. So as you were growing up, like how often I'm just trying to figure, I'm just trying to imagine what it's like as, as a young boy, 
And how often would you think back to that experience and how did it influence how you, how you went through life as you were growing up? Often, I would yeah. say the biggest thing that changed was my intuition. Um, mm -hmm. Having this near-death experience, I suffocated as a result of pertussis. So my brain, you know, literally was deprived of oxygen. So there was a TBI component. And so, but after that point, I noticed that my brain was a filter between the two realms. And I would literally sit in my class and feel this pillar of light going in between my brain. You know, and so readily at hand, I would have interdimensional communication and premonitions. Uh, but uh, it was more of a nuisance than anything else, uh, you know, at a certain point in time. And I, I didn't have a word for it. I would just see things, hear things, know things, and they would happen and it just be very frustrating. Like I just kind of wanted to just bog this down, but it's kind of like a beach ball. I just was trying my hardest to bog it down. But then eventually at a certain point when I was ready, it had to come up to the surface. But um, I would frequently come back to it, but I I didn't have the, the diagnosis or the vocabulary for what it was. Right. Uh, not until I read Betty Eighty's book and probably my later teens, early 20s, where I was for the first time educated you know, on Raymond Moody's term, near-death experience. So, um, and that was quite cathartic um, to have a diagnosis. And hopefully that could be a segue into some of our discussion on grief and right. just the importance of awareness and being able to identify and assess and, you know, so yeah, but it took, it was always there. It's, you know, it's kind of like Harry Potter, like there's always like themes in the movie and sometimes they get very close and sometimes they're further away, but they're always there subliminally or directly. And that was kind of the life that I lived with my near-death experience. Yeah, it makes sense. So from, from the, everything that you learned and as, as you processed your experience over the years, as you were growing up and as you became a therapist and everything, how has this helped you with the work that you do as a therapist? Yeah, you know, it, it's a great question, Laura, because, you know, as a psychotherapist, I noticed, particularly with clinical social work, it's it's kind of like heating up an ocean, you know, with this stuff. It, it takes time for things to change and to be open to new thought and to uh, this stuff. I mean, years ago, you know, if I were to talk about this stuff with a licensure, I'd probably be put in an, an institution, you know, like most, like a lot of us. But, you know, now it's uh, getting recognition and I credit, you know, people like Dr. Eben Alexander with, you know, a Harvard neurosurgeon who's given credibility or Dr. Imamudi and, you know, all these people with uh, just a foundation and just, just, you know, educated and stuff like that does, does help out to give credibility to this stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say as a social worker and a therapist, it's not something that I necessarily utilize directly, but allows me more inspiration and more hope to believe in the power of the client sitting in front of me, that they have the ability to have what's called self-efficacy or the capacity to change and the ability to transcend the darkest moments into the light. And, you know, I, I think it's given me a lot more inspiration and hope and seeing my clients pass a pathological uh, negative way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely more strength-based. Mm, that's awesome. So when you're, when you, what do you think is one of the, um, maybe the top three ways that people are unable or why people are unable to see their own power and how to find their own way out of, out of what is, whatever it is that they're struggling with? What do you think is a couple of the reasons why? So it's a great question. I mean, number one, 
I think so much of the world has created our minds um, when you think about it. And it's not to put blame or, you know, to point fingers, but, you know, from a very early age, you know, we were always taught that in order to be something, you needed to do something. And so there's a transactional, unconditional sense of self-worth based off of what you did in the world. You know, you got the grade A, you felt amazing. You got a D, you felt, you know, cruddy. So it was, it was unstable. So I think so much of identity was from the outside in and what the world thought of you and how the world saw you uh, versus tapping into something much deeper than this world, which is, you know, your infinite spirit and infinite mind. And so I think if people are able to change the direction that they're facing in their lives, instead of looking outward and starting to turn inward, they'd be amazed by the transition and transformation that happens. Um, and so I think there's a lot of amnesia too about who we are and, you know, and our identities, you know, we see ourselves minute to minute as, you know, life is happening, this conveyor belt, and there's just, you know, we're not, uh, I believe we're on this earth, but not of this earth, you know, there's a higher point of us connected to, you know, a much greater reality at hand, and so I think for people to transform or transcend, they have to be willing to let go of, you know, some of the uh, patho pathologized, um, uh, limited self-belief systems to expand to greater reality, which is um, a great vulnerability, you know, to let go of all that you've been holding on to in order to let go of something different. Uh, that's that's certainly, you know, um, you know, one of them, but also uh, I think also too, like a lot of the world that we live in, you know, focuses on, you know, more is better and within spirituality recognizes, you know, that, you know, we focus on what, is there at the end of the day, not so much, you know, what, what, what can we take with us at the end of the day is our generating force. And I think to me, at least it's to love, serve and remember and to give of service to others and to create a ripple effect in this world. And so I think for people to change, they recognize if you're looking for happiness from yourself, you may not find it, but if you find your light and you see how it impacts the world, you might find a greater degree of happiness. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've and I've come across you know a lot of people who they they keep saying that they keep trying to find meaning in their life you know and they and they they seem to be searching out not everybody but there's you know a number of people are searching out for something that has a wide reach of impact you know they you know there's people who um, I know they want to be famous or they want right. to write a, a top selling book or something like that and. And some people chase, seem to chase that, thinking that's 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 how to give back to the world. <laughs> right. um, yeah, and so, like, how how do you help people manage that expectation that that's the only way right. to to be of be of this world and to actually help others? I'd say for one, and this is not a paid advertisement, but for one, <laughs> people to watch the movie Soul by Pixar. Yes, that yeah. exact situation. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give the movie away, but for that situation, and if you're struggling, you know, with always trying to chase that golden nugget and on the, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think, I think that's important. Uh, but also, um, I think, I think for people, what's important too, is to recognize that you don't need to do anything to be anything. You already are, mm -hmm. you know, all that, you know, there's, there's an incredible beauty and grace and brilliance in all living things. And so if you could just find that in the big things and you're missing out, it's, it's really in the small things. So, you know, it's, it's the people who are governed by ego just don't find 
happiness and it's never enough but the people who find it in all things are able to bask in love and it's kind of like uh you know if you're familiar with carl Jung, and i write about this in a little bit of my book he speaks about the two uh phases in life there's a morning of life which we're always chasing and chasing and chasing recognizing that hey that didn't do the trick and hopefully at a certain point in life you get into the afternoon which is just you're able to just be so um it's not so much focus on the doing but more of the being while you are doing you know um yeah. and you're able to find that so um you know but i think society teaches us that like you know more is better but um mm -hmm. i really believe it's important to have an eastern mind and a western world by that i mean you know having a mind that focuses on substance on meaning that that less is more you know minimalism but focusing on the small things is really the big things <laughs> right. yeah. yes i completely agree so what would you say to someone who is maybe struggling between those two those two thought processes, you know, um, kind of kind of still on the path of reaching for something that may or may not make them happy, but also being aware that something needs to change. And hopefully eventually they'll get to that point where they're sort of looking more the way that you were talking about um, how to approach their life. So if someone was to come to come to you and they're having that struggle, and you can kind of see that I'm assuming because being a psychotherapist, you can kind of see that happening, that struggle between those two, those two paths. Um, what are some tools that you could offer to someone to sort of work their way from one to the other? Well, you know, I think um, there's a great deal of bypassing that that could happen in life where we're just trying to get to the next yard, but we're ignoring how we're actually viewing life or what we're going through. Yeah. So I think what's important is for people to really, and for any therapist, particularly myself, is to meet yourself in the situation where its feet are at, right? You know, and to, mm -hmm. and to understand that point. But from that point, you know, having some of these ideals and being able to generate the hope and the faith, you know, past some of this uh, predicament. Um, and so I think every day it's it's important to not try to be perfect with it, you know, not try to fight or suppress what we're feeling, but to have, you know, some motive for shifts you know on a regular basis and to honor the human part you know and the spirit part but i think the 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 best gift of our life is often the most difficult moments it's those dark moments um and if we're able to listen to that moment you know that that darkness you know will take us you know into the light and so you know today uh you know i, I think around this time it's mlk month and so I think it's really about understanding that darkness does not cure darkness or does not heal darkness. Only light can do that. And so I think for mm -hmm. people, yes, it's important to go through that dark, but to be able to see within that dark, you know, the inner sanctum of light, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So rather than looking at it as something to fight against, it's it's more of a, a something that's lighting the way. Um, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's a movement and... Um, mm -hmm. You know, that was a gift of my near-death experience. And I use that within all my cases at some degree where, you know, I was having the, the the darkest moment of just pure suffocation. And I was just, you know, it was just, I was just pure misery when I was suffocated. But then from going to that and just letting go of suffering, acknowledging it, but also letting it go, I was able to be guided to, you know, a new light that, you know, that carried me through that moment. And so, you know, I think everyone loves the light, but if you're not able to find it within the darkness, you know, you can't find it in all things. It's only conditional. So I think we are unconditional love and unconditional 
light that are capable of seeing it and finding it in all things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, it's, it's, you know, also having patience as you kind of maneuver through that. Cause I think some people are looking for a way to make a pivot really quickly. And it's, it, it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, someone could have a near death experience um, and it will shift their perspective fairly quickly. Um, but, you know, maybe someone might be going through something that's not as, as immediate or crucial, um, but knowing that they're kind of going down the wrong path and then being able to see that there's something that they need to change, but just to have patience and, um, to, and just take things as they come. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a whole lot of our society, instant microwavable in a way. And (laughs) I think social media has a great deal of influence on us Mm -hmm. um, to, to so much of a degree. Uh, but, uh, you know, authenticity, real, you know, it, it takes time mm-hmm. and it takes a yes. real good foundation. But once you have it, you know, it's the greatest thing, you know, it's rock solid, you know, That's so true. I think, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on life as a race or getting ahead. But I think the journey is is important to focus on, you know, and, just, and you're able to do that. You know, you're able to have a lot more patience, you know, seeing this as a never, ever ending journey with endless opportunities at play you know yeah absolutely yeah so um there seems to be a lot of focus lately on grief and i know that obviously that's always been part of the human condition right but i don't know what it is about maybe it maybe it was coming out of the covid situation or there just seems to be a lot of more high profile people leaving the earth um i know it just seems that way to me anyways um but it just there's a lot of focus on how to how to um, to move through grief and how to how to address that. What what are some tips that you could offer or some tools that um, someone who may be grief whatever type of grief someone might be going through whether it be loss of somebody or a life of life circumstances or the loss of their health whatever it may be. Um, what can you offer to to people for tools right. for that? It's a great question. I mean, I, I'm a Taurus, so we're as earthy as it gets. Mm-hmm. And so with my astrological sign, I try to tangibilize everything. By that, I mean, you know, for instance, if you were to have a physical illness per se, mm-hmm. and not have like set awareness of what a cold comes with a cold or, you know, set criteria that you'd, you'd be freaked out. You just wouldn't know what to do and be overwhelming. Uh, but grief is a little bit different where a lot of people, they just kind of push us off, put put it off in the ethers and they don't uh, look enough uh, at what they're going through and some of the path and some of the different cycles and stages that they may go through. Mm-hmm. So I think the first things first is to, is to tangibilize, you know, our, our normal reactions to abnormal events. You know, loss is a part of life, but it's an abnormal situation from the day-to-day experience. And, right. you know, it's a whole life that's taken from us. When someone passes, a part of us is taken too. You know, with, with there's great love, there's great loss. But I think what's important is to find balance between the emotional part of us and the objective part and to be able to use both. By objective, I mean having a degree of, you know, psychoeducation on, on grief, some of the stages, you know, and to be having, you know, good information at hand that could help create universality and normalization with what we're going through. But, you know, it grief is an emotional thing it's an emotional reaction and uh, emotion is what energy within emotion and we just don't resist the wave we just allow the wave to be and you know 
some days it will knock us off and some days we'll be able to be more manageable. But, you know, in the end, you know, we, we are able to get to learn a lot of self-patience and, and empathy. And hopefully it's a gateway going through it ourselves to open up a doorway to look at the world and other people, you know, in, in a different way. Um, you know, but um, yeah, but I think for people wanting to learn a little bit more about grief, and I'm sure you could uh, attest to this. I myself listened to uh, David Kessler from the Kubler-Ross Foundation, and I absolutely, I just love his work um, and, and his contributions, but I refer his stuff to all my clients in his books. So having information is, is helpful as well as someone to talk to and someone to go to. Um, and you know, much like when your body's not feeling well, you go to a physical, you know, medical doctor, you know, so when your mind and soul aren't feeling well, it's okay to talk to a therapist or a coach or, um, you know, just a very trusted friend, but obviously being careful and selective with whom you place your vulnerabilities with. Yes, that's very important. Yes. Um, So as far as your new book that just came out, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, who would you recommend? I mean, I, I think this book is for everybody, <laughs> but, but, but who would, who would you recommend it to specifically? Like, um, what can, what can people walk away from when they finish this book? Yeah. I, you know, I think the wisdom of Jacob's ladder is a good read for anyone, you know, searching, ser- you know, searching for answers or searching for ways to navigate their daily life from the ground up. Um, you know, the book is very much filled with, you know, psychological, you know, spiritual, you know, and emotional tidbits that could enhance anyone. And there's practicality, you know, that, that people could utilize. Um, uh, but I always, um, you know, my, my ideal client is obviously, my ideal reader is obviously anyone, but I think it's the people that are going through some degree of difficulty or crises and, you know, they're, they're looking for ways to navigate their life um, and they're ready for change, but the change process, you know, isn't uh, dependent on someone else. They're able to really to, for readiness to take ownership of that change. And so um, I think it's for people really looking to take their life to the next step and to look at the nature of reality uh, through, through a new lens. So it's a very exciting, engaging, juicy read that I think, you know, people could get a lot out of. I'm sure it will help a lot of people to be able to see themselves in some aspects of, of your story and uh, the journey that you take them on. Oh yeah, no, that's, that's a hope. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's, there's, there's beauty within story. And uh, you know, Eli Wiesel once said this, that God created us because God loves stories. And so uh, with, with a life that we're living or a literal book, you know, I think it's really recognizing that, you know, in a way we could have the world write our story or we, or we could write our own story. And uh, hopefully this book gives readers the power back to really, it, you know, what they went through is not their fault, but I think what they come out of it, you know, is a task at hand. And hopefully this book could help them to to progress whatever challenges they may be facing and to embrace, you know, the the challenges and, and the good times as well too. And if you're able to do that, you know, you have a lot less you know, fear and a lot more peace within your everyday life. Where you're not afraid of what comes your way because you trust what's inside of you and what's around you, you know, a lot more. So just to, uh, for anybody who would like to check out uh, Jacob's website, you can go to jacoblcooper.com and his books are listed on there as well. Um, 
and of course there's private sessions. You all, you still do private sessions, correct? Uh, yeah, they do. Um, you know, I'm in Long Island, so I do in home, um, in office sessions, um, in Long Island, and I also do, you know, remote sessions. And I do you know, a lot of the, a lot of these days. I'm doing a lot of past life regression sessions with clients. Um, a service that I do is like consciousness consultative work, where you know people have a lot of big questions or they might be stuck in areas, and we help them from the ground up, you know, to navigate you know, the day-to-day -day life, but I also do Reiki, mindfulness. Um, you've got a brain, you've got a body. I'm motivated in mm -hmm. somehow, some way to um, help you throughout, you know, whatever level you're at. With your past life regression therapy, what can that help people with? Well, for one thing, um, when people are going through it, it could hopefully allow them an expanded viewpoint of themselves. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, when people hear me talk and have my near-death experience, they, you know, are kind of like put on a high, but then they're also left with, oh, that's something that he had, but that's not something that I could relate to, you know, so for people who have past life regressions, it's, you kind of have a similar awareness of the eternity of the soul, you know, from going through your different lifetimes and recognizing, you know, that each lifetime, you know, is another experience, another chapter of learning and growing and evolving, uh, but also hopefully to take away the fear and I guess the illusion of the death of the soul uh, that could yeah. be, uh, you know, you could bury the body, but you can never bury the soul. And hopefully mm -hmm. that's something that, that people could take with them. Uh, but also just, um, you know, things that might be getting in their way, you know, it could be however big or small, but being able to have more awareness about their soul on a, on a larger level, you know, so sometimes we're just reading from one page of the book and you're able to look at, other chapters, you could understand the book a little bit more. Mm, so true. Yeah. Yeah. That's and from, I mean, I haven't personally had a one-to-one -one, um, past life regression. I've done, you know, in a group, group situation I have. Um, but anybody who I've, who I've known who's had a one-to-one, -one, um, it, it, they just, it's, they, they realized how small they felt and how how helpful that was to have that knowledge <laughs> that they felt, you know, this particular existence in this life that just felt not as crucial not as you know not not that, that we don't have an impact in this life but it, it gives a different perspective there's less fear because they realize this is just a part of my existence and um it's and so you see I'm, I'm sure you see that all the time with your clients oh absolutely i mean that's something that i had my near-death experience when i was feeling as small as i could possibly you know, be, you know, suffocating. And then moments later, you know, I, I saw myself that I was beyond struggle. I was beyond pain. You know, who I was, was infinite, yeah. uh, connected to an infinite beauty and grace that, that went far beyond, you know, anything of pain, you know, so pain is something that you experience, but it's not the totality of who you are, you know? So I think, yes, it is expansive. Um, but it's, I kind of view it as like a spa for the soul where you just, kind of stretch yourself more than what you saw yourself and you're left with a feeling of invigoration empowerment um but just seeing a bigger sense of you i think that's yeah, that's exactly. very cathartic to 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 step into that point mm, yeah different perspective can shift everything so before before we wrap up this um half hour here is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners yeah i i would say um you know, for people who may be going through grief, I think what's important is to recognize that it's a, like we said, a normal reaction to an abnormal situation and to be able to acknowledge 
your feelings, your emotions, and, you know, to, to not be ashamed to try to bury what you're going through. And, um, you know, my work as a therapist, I can't tell you how many comorbid situations, you know, happen because of people who might have buried their feelings or their grief and how that, you know, situation led to a lot, you know, much, much, much more difficulties. So I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, whatever it is that you may be going through and to not try to bury it. Um, and so I think the world that we're living in just kind of has this tough guy mentality. We're just, just you know, kind of suck it up and move on. And, uh, but, you know, I, I think real strength is, is being able to acknowledge, you know, your own feelings, your own sensitivities and exactly where you're at. I think that's a very responsible um, and, and very empowering vantage point to live your life from. And it's a very honest place. So, you know, taking away the shame from the mental health game is hopefully something that people could take with them and being able to utilize, you know, the plethora of services at hand. And, um, you know, if anyone wants to, you know, see a therapist, you could look up psychology today or contact myself for resources. But yeah, I think anyone going through something should be able to, um, at their own point of readiness, be able to take away the shame and discussing, you know, what they're going through and to be able to see the strength and vulnerability and uh, take advantage, take, uh, utilize the supported hand, you know, Absolutely. that we don't have to do it all alone. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, I have never heard anybody regret reaching out for help once they decided to do that. I, I have yet to come across somebody to that has done that or said that. No, but you know, everyone has different cultural backgrounds and certainly, you know, different family backgrounds and, you know, it's the, certain cultures you grow up with so much stigma around yeah. mental health, around, True. you know, seeking help. Um, you know, so I think it's important for people to have the courage to take with them what makes sense from prior generations, mm -hmm. you know, and to leave with maybe what doesn't, because I do believe we're here, obviously, we physically evolve generation to generation, but I think we're also to evolve what we were handed to from, you know, our, our ancestors and our generations prior to, you know, we should stand on the shoulders, you know, of our, of our you know, people who came before us and take that baton and run with it our own way you know I think that's important but a lot of people feel guilt about that or they feel shame in doing that or they just they're like who am who am I to do that but I don't know when I was younger my my father who's a therapist would always say uh you know whatever you do I want you to do your own thing and to do it better than I do <laughs> <laughs> not many parents say that to their kids a lot of parents don't have enough um their egos aren't grounded enough to want their kids to do better than what they did. And it becomes a competition, but yeah. you know, it should all always be about evolving and growing from whatever you were given. Exactly. Yeah. And there's no shame in growing. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's so, so wonderful to chat with you, Jake. I, I always feel like I'm talking to a brother, you know, um, <laughs> it's, I feel like we're a, you know, a spiritual, a spiritual brother here. So, um, but thank you so much. And, and for everybody who's listening, if you'd like to check out Jake's offerings, his books, his sessions, any kind of um, media, everything else that uh, Jake might be a part of, you can go to jacoblcooper.com. And also, um, Jake, where are you on social media as well? You're on Instagram, yes? I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and I just made a TikTok. <laughs> oh, congratulations so, to the TikTok world. <laughs> uh, I'm, on, I'm on TikTok. And I, you know, I think it's like anything else. There's there's two roads in life. I think, you know, you could take the high road or the low road. And 
social media is a microcosm of life itself and so whatever you want to focus you know the the internet could has a funny way of getting your algorithm your subconscious mind you know and just kind of um mirroring what you focus on and repeating it so i try to focus on inspiration which i i think is the oxygen of the soul and so if there's something that inspires me i I recognize that it's not just about me it's about this is happening to you to move through you to give to others um you know the interconnectedness as you said before i know you think i'm a brother the world becomes a better place when you see each other as as our brothers and sisters keeper and there's a responsibility uh for that and when you take away some of those boundaries or some of the uh superficial kind of factors you boil it down it's all one of the same so that's right that's right Wonderful. Well, I'd love to have you back on again soon, Jake, because it's been a wonderful chatting with you. And um, like I said, anybody would like to check out his website, it's jacoblcooper.com. Thanks, Jake. Have a wonderful day. Laura, thank you so much. A true honor as always. You can subscribe to the Intuitive Life Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the program, please consider leaving a review so that others may find it and benefit as well. Also, you can stay informed about upcoming podcasts by following me on social media. I am Intuitive Laura on Instagram and TikTok, or simply go to my website and sign up for my email newsletter at lauraworcester.com. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.